Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club and the newly released Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Today, I have the pleasure of being in conversation with David Rose, author of Mulgara, The Necromancer's Will. Welcome, David. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Hey, everybody. So I'm pretty excited because, you know, I've been accused of being a bit dark. And reading your book, I think I've found somebody that's even darker. And I'm kind of excited to get into some of this dark magic and the black magic and some of the topics of this. So I think just to dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, Mulgara, the Necromancer's Will, that title, where it comes from? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a really big fan of... uh weird fiction which which is, is uh you know the subgenre under speculative fiction and they have their reigning um there, there was there was the three musketeers in the 30s with uh clark ashton smith and robert e howard which invented conan and then of course the famous being hp lovecraft well one of their um greatest descendants was a horror author named brian mcnaughton and he wrote um, a book in 97. It was an anthology that I believe it won. Yeah, it won the International Horrors Guild and it won the World Fantasy Award in 98 titled The Throne of Bones. And uh, uh, it's everybody. I think I'm going to In fact, I'm curious what yours is. It seems that every author has that one book that really they've come back to every few years. You know, it, it's, it's a vacation. And um the Throne of Bones was and is mine. I've, I, uh, I've no, I know that one thing you and I have in common, other than writing, uh, enjoying writing and reading dark material, is uh, world travel. Uh, and uh, I've um, taken The Throne of Bones with me. I, I, I can't even tell you how, how many countries, even continents, this, this old hardback has been abused in. And um, so I, I kind of just wanted to, I think a lot of people getting into writing really have like an author who they, who they admire and to an extent they they want to emulate but but create some something original in that emulation and and so um Brian McNaughton's The Throne of Bones takes place in a world called Silura and I was really fascinated by that title because I mean the guy follows onomatopoeia perhaps better than any fiction writer I've ever seen like his names of cities and provinces and mm-hmm. and, and little things like that so I was like all right well uh, what what would be a good planetary sounding name that would be in that sort of quasi Western uh, Europe medieval era. And I had come up with all sorts of uh, variations and I eventually settled on what I thought was an original word, which is Mulgara. I think it's, it has a feminine sound to it, but definitely has like a dark and brooding. And and Mm -hmm. I was so proud of myself. Mulgara. It sounds like you could hear somebody maybe in star Wars saying, Oh, we're entering the Mulgara system or whatever, you know? And then, (laughs) I, uh, I I go ahead and I said, all right, that's the name of the world. And I come to find out recently that it, there's an Australian rodent named the Mulgara. And so now that people are hashtagging Mulgara for my book, I also see that I'm getting uh, pull, pulled into these uh, <laughs> <laughs> these little muskrat uh, uh, videos and things. So. <laughs> well, at least you probably don't have to worry about, I, I don't know if that domain was taken, but I don't think the... The, the muskrat probably is too active on uh, with with the website, so Mulgar yeah. is probably yeah. still an available <laughs> domain. <laughs> but you talk about you know uh, influential book, um, and I think the one for me what really set me up and said 
I want to do this was uh, American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. And just just reading that and the detail and, you know, the thought process and everything that went through and, uh, you know, and just thinking about the writer behind that and saying, okay, well, the ability to do this, there's there's a pretty fine line between actually doing it and creating this level of, of detail. And, and that's when I think it really uh kind of the the writing bug bit me was with yeah. that with that book how long ago did you read that oh i um you know i was originally a math major so i you know really didn't start reading you know i loved loved uh english and and writing and i and when i was you know a 17 year old deciding okay i want to go and i was going to be a teacher and I said, oh, do I want to teach English? Do I want to teach math? Well, I don't want to grade all those papers. Math is easy. I'm going to do that. So I go in and I said, I'm going to be a math teacher. And then about my junior year in college, all of a sudden the ripe brain explodes. And, you know, I want to learn music and and write and read. And then just really started reading. But I was more on the philosophy, you know, that kind of myth, philosophy, those kind of things. And then as I graduated, I got more into fiction. So it probably wasn't until my early 20s that I probably read that. You know, it's, it, we have, there's, uh, there's some similarity there, actually, as I had um, gotten into writing. Uh, well, I mean, it's one of those things when someone asks, like, you know, like, you know, so what made you want to write? It's one of those very few questions where, where I, I feel it's almost appropriate to give what almost, what almost can sound like a bit aloof or smug and say well it's not really something you do it's something you are but I, I really think this might be one of those very few circumstances where that's appropriate because I think back of how long I had written um uh in my teens and, and early 20s and most of it was just you know sort of stream of conscious journals but I, I was in the Marine Corps um my in my early 20s and then I actually got into um law enforcement in my mid-20s and obviously this is the exact opposite of you know mm-hmm. writing writing, you know, speculative fiction and things like that. But, but at that time I was reading a lot of it, you know, it was just, I was in a very pragmatic environment, but, but as I got older that, that, as you said, what'd you say, the right brain, bright brain exploded. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to put it is yeah, there really was this sort of, um, this, this, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, my right brain exploded as well. And then it was, all, it became a point where I really felt like I couldn't, uh, outrage my true nature any longer. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, for sure. You know, and circling back to something you said there um, on the stream of consciousness journaling, because that's really how I started as well. And, you know, when you get the book published, the next kind of wave and another writer told me this when I got my first book published and, and he said, oh, get ready, because once you have the book published, then everybody's going to come to you with their book their book ideas and mm-hmm. ask you how to do it and, you know, how did you do it and everything. And, and the advice that I always give people is start keeping a journal and just write as often as you can. Don't think, shut the editor off and yeah. just write and just write and just write. And then periodically go back and read and you'll start to see some themes and and topics and ideas emerge. And then at a certain point, you'll have enough there that you want to do something with it. And you'll be able to work from that. But for me, it was starting, you know, and I still have all these journals and they're stacked up 
up upstairs on a shelf and it's it's nice to go back and look what what was your experience that got you started with the journaling and and you know do you do you go back have you used any of that stuff in your writing yeah a little um I, I remember as a kid like experimenting with it probably because I, I had seen like my girl or you know what I mean like <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when I when I started taking uh journaling i guess you'd say serious it was when i when i got into the marine corps and i i actually can pinpoint who and what influenced me was uh henry rollins uh he he does you know he's published god knows how many of his tour journals and um i was really inspired by his writing for one and uh i think i just kind of uh wanted to um put my own thoughts down and because uh, you know he was traveling with black flag and, and here I'm traveling here. I'm traveling with a military unit, but there was some sort of thing about like the lonely, angry young man. And I was like, okay, like I got, I got, I got something here that, that and it was very cathartic, you know, but, um, looking back, <laughs> what one thing I've used is, uh, it's definitely a, a bit of, um, of, uh, autobiography, whether you mean to or not, I kind of went back and I was like, man, I used to be one depressing guy, you know, <laughs> so there's, there you do, but you know, it's, it's, uh, you gotta be careful though, because I've noticed one thing is you tend to write, you know, like what does Hemingway say? Like, you know, go to the typewriter and bleed, you know, I think it's easier to write, you know, maybe something that you're brooding on than writing 500 times how, you know, something good happened to you today. So I think writing kind of, especially with stream of conscious journaling is, 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 is very cathartic by its very nature. But, um, I, um, I found out later and this is kind of fun. It's like a, like a sense of discovery, like, um, how, uh, there's like a sense of sexuality, uh, in my journal entries that ended up making, uh, its way into, uh, Mongara very like uh sexually motivated characters and um and and to try to do it in a way that isn't gratuitous you know where where it's just it's um uh, it's um sort of just embedded in, in uh motivations and in speech and uh so that that is one connection well you have to do i have to say and and you know encourage people to go out and, and get the book it's not available yet correct when when will it be available may uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so so because one of the things is i was reading it and and you do do amazing job of um, just the writing. It's it's very dense. It's very rich, without ever being overwritten, over overblown. I mean, and and there is a poetic uh, aspect to it so much that I would just be reading. It was like listening to music, and then I would s- kind of focus on what was happening in the scene. I'll be like, oh my god, wait. How, how how do we get here? Because I had to I'd had to back up because you just it's it's almost like floating around and I would just I was just hearing the words in in my head and really just enjoying the rhythm and the cadence and and the sound um, of of kind of going along and it made it made me think of because um, I always like to think about the writer and you know how we write is a lot of how we are. Um, in, in, in some aspects of our life. And I was like, I bet, cause I was put things in a relationship context, you know, and I'm like, man, I bet he could break up with somebody and they wouldn't even realize it. You know, <laughs> he could just deliver the, the, the most, you know, poetic, uh, thing. It's just like, and you're severing the whole relationship. <laughs> so I really think you do a great, uh, a great job of, of, and just that language and, uh, you know, and, and I, haven't read a lot of you know fantasy and 
and and kind of the science fiction kind of style um that this is but just the writing uh is just so so beautiful thank you so much man you know it, it's funny i actually ha- i had a question for you and i, I was curious if we were going to have like a natural segue or not and i think we have one here is with uh levi and emily here I, i'm with your book that came out uh, two weeks ago yes focus laws mm-hmm. april 16th is yep. that um there were, I, I was thinking that there's this reoccur- <laughs> reoccurring theme of uh, couples slash lovers that are just, as I would say, surrounded by bullshit. And uh, I was curious if within this commonality, I mean, you, you see it as far back. Well, I mean, further back. But uh, uh, as far as, you know, like I, I, hate, I hate to pull from the, the, cle- the biggest one, but like Romeo and Juliet or, or even people that aren't directly romantically inclined, but just just the the archetype of a. Of, uh, of a, a man and woman, and then there's these um, destructive circumstances uh, or, or agents orbiting them. And um, what you had said about me being able to maybe break up with someone poetically, I was, I guess I'm a bit curious as to where you would uh, pull your sources from um, as far as uh, like, you know, like, like how, uh, where you get your motivation for these types of like relationship based uh, plots and, and, and such. Yeah, so this this story, Focus Lost, was originally written as a screenplay. Um, probably I was I lived in Norway from like 2007 to 2012, and was over there and just doing a lot of. Uh, I was working for a company, and then you know had a lot of time. And as everyone knows, it gets quite dark there in in the winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of time to brood and write. And so I said, wanted to work on my writing and, and make it more visual. So thought, oh, screenplays is, is a good way um, and not having the just the words to, to rely on other than dialogue. So, you know, kind of frame this up as as a screenplay. And, you know, the title Focus Lost draws, you know, the inspiration from uh, Paradise Lost from Milton's, mm-hmm. you know, um, poem and traces all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So the inspiration is really on that original creation story. And, you know, Levi, um, and this is where, you know, I want to get into some of the character names with you because I put a lot of thought into my character names, but man, it's nothing compared to some of these character names you have. So I, w- I want to get into that a little bit, but Levi sure, sure. Combs is, is, you know, Levi is an anagram of evil. So mm. evil comes, um, and then his agent, Ava Flores is, you know, after Eve and flowers, a little garden symbolism and, um, Gabe Adams is Gabriel Adams. So he's like the Adam character. Got it. Um, so it's just kind of that, that story. And then you have these other characters around, like, like you had mentioned, Emily and, and some of that. So I really wanted to, the, the inspiration for the relationships goes back to the, the Adam and Eve and kind of the mythic role of woman as the temptress. So the women in the story are really the initiators on pretty much everything that happens. And the men, um, while they escalate uh, the kind of the tension and the problems, they're really just reacting. And that really goes back to, you know, to, to the Garden of Eden. Huh. You know, it's, it's really fascinating I, when I, I don't think that the uh, average person who picks up uh, uh, your book, my book, or, or any book 
um, will know uh, right off the bat or if ever how much goes into something like the creation of a character name. You know, like it's it, 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 like the, like the fact that <laughs> everything you just said. You know, it, it and uh, it's um, I don't know. It's making me smile. If we were doing like a recorded video. You guys would see me smiling right now. It's just like like uh, how much blood, sweat, and tears goes into something as uh, as I don't want to say simple. But as surface level as a name, you know, because I think there are some people that wondered, like, what do you do? Do you just draw it out of a hat? Do you have a neighbor, mm-hmm. na- neighbor name, Emily? You know what I mean? But no, nope. <laughs> hardly the case. Wow. Yeah, there's usually for me, I mean, I, I develop everything in, in kind of layers and, and, you know, try to have everything tie together to themes and do put a lot of time in it. And most of the stuff, like you're saying, I know people don't really pick up on it, but I kind of enjoying that and, and enjoy that and i think it adds you know some texture and depth and for people that that do it's really cool when somebody spots it out and i also started doing um a blog series on some of these things on my website um which is by cooper.com b-y-c-o-o-p-e-r and it's called a deeper look so I do a deeper look on the characters, on the themes, on this, and I kind of reveal some of this stuff. And at first I didn't want to do that because then I didn't feel like I'm, I'm spoon feeding a little bit. But at the same point, I'm sharing that. And people have really responded um, well because uh, there are people that like to, to pick up on and, and get a uh, kind of preview or a, at least a little nudge on those Easter eggs. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about some of your, your, your characters, because like sure. I said, these names and, you know, I don't, you know, one of the questions I had for you was I was, you know, as I said, I read a lot of philosophy and a, and a lot of myth and, and some of the things I, I recognize, but you know, a lot of, a lot of them I didn't, but they're just so creative and I'm just gonna, you know, read a, Read a couple of them. Uh, Orion, Ordred, mm-hmm. Timotheus, Sneer, Seasmo, mm-hmm. Ologsby. And I apologize if I if I mispronounced, but uh, you, you feel free to correct me if I did. Well, um, you know, I'm not really the biggest. I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of Lovecraft out of all the guys I had mentioned. Like I like Clark Ashton mm-hmm. Smith more and, and everything. But I notice I uh, when I when I do these uh, podcasts with other writers, I end up talking about Lovecraft a lot. He's kind of overrepresented in my fossil record, so to say. Uh, but but this reminds me of um, some of his crazy names for uh, his gods and, and, and aliens and, and monsters and such. Is that it's a, a bit of a debate, like, you know, like, how do you pronounce Cthulhu? It's, you know, that, like, you can, you see, there's documentaries on YouTube of, like, you know, <laughs> renowned uh, scholars and writers uh, of the craft, like, saying, no, it's pronounced this way, it's pronounced that way. Um, and to some extent, I kind of like hearing what people, uh, how people pronounce the names um, themselves. Like, for me, it, it, uh, uh, the correct enunciation is seasonal oleogsby. Uh, but but when somebody else creates it in their mind and their you know their mind's ear as, as something slightly different from that, mm-hmm. it, works, it works for them. I think I, I kind of I think it's pretty cool. You know, um, where I had developed the names was um, a very long, uh, arduous process of sort of dissecting the English language as far as um, 
uh, syllables and, and and sounds that would sound, let's say, brooding, like more M O R, uh, with the the Latin derivative of death, you know, like mortician, mortality. Is you can and you see Joe R. Tolkien does this. Is like Mordor. Uh, is that he he did this and uh, Brian McNaughton did this. Is they tend to take um, English sounds uh, that if you want to do something dark and heavy, you start to like, uh, you know, okay, so M O R will be one. Well, then make you know like. Uh, necrophiliac, you know, the iliac on the end of it is that you could uh, go, okay, iliac has, so people are going to hear it. They may not yeah. notice it. Similar like what you had said about somebody he hears uh, Levi Combs or Evi Flores or Gabe Adams, and they might, I, 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 I didn't immediately think Garden of Eden, but you, there is a connection to those names, and you're not really sure like how, like, how, the, how the web works immediately, but there is something. There's like something goes off in the, in the back of the reader's mind, and um, or at least, you know, hopefully. But um, so I uh, I just I went more for for sound. So like that example is you could make a character in um, an otherworldly setting of like more more iliac or more filiac or something. And that already sounds like a necromancer. So um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I made just a, a series of uh, na- potential names and uh, not to sound too gag But as I were right, was writing the characters um, before I had actually named them, I, I kind of wanted to see like what name fit them best. Almost like my crazy cousin that didn't name her kid till like six weeks later, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and that's how, how I came about with it, you know. You know, that that works a lot easier now that we have word processing programs with the find and replace. You know, I, I always think, you know, I, I can't imagine having to work on a typewriter because so much of how I write, I use the technology that's there. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do, Oh, you know what? I want to change this name or am I overusing this word? I got to, you know, and you can see and, and, and search easily. And if you do want to want to make a change rather than having to go back and, and correct, you know, uh, and read 150 pages and, and retype something. So that definitely makes the, the name change um, a, li- a lot easier. So, you know, I have to tell you, what my favorite, and, you know, this, this book, uh, Mogara, is a collection of different perspectives, right? Point of views, <laughs> stories. And the Nilgord Popper Morg is such a funny um, I don't know. I, I just found it funny and I didn't do any research on it, but, uh, I mean, was there anything ever like that or where did you, where did you get that idea? Um, well, one of the thing, <laughs> one of the, uh, going back to the thing about, uh, journal entries, uh, uh from a very long time ago is I know, I noticed that, uh, I have a bit of an interest in, um, socioeconomic injustice we'll call it and uh uh something that sort of grew limbs or or tentacles maybe into my into my fiction is a bit of uh dark humor about uh how how the disenfranchised are treated and so the 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 nilgord is a city and the pauper morgue is the uh final resting place for the city's denizens who family cannot provide the money for a formal burial, which is the majority of the city, which is how, you know, cities are historically, mm-hmm. historically structured. But then you throw in into this world people who are able to raise the dead and, you know, th- then something like the Popper Moore gets a bit more interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was that was great. I mean, I was I was laughing, and then the more that I read it, and because you tap into something so uh, true about human nature, that I was like, hey, who knows? Probably at some point in our history, there probably was something similar where the you know where basically the the discarded are 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 thrown, um, and you know I have to say I loved your the biography and anybody listening, you know, go to one of the online sites, uh, like, um, indiebound.org, look up David Rolls, Mulgara and, and read his, read his bio because, uh, you know, the opening line, I think also tells you a lot about the book where you say, where it, it, the description is David Rose spent his twenties armed in three different countries, thus bearing witness to every form of human depravity draconian law and unbated violence now profitably converted into fiction that's just so brilliant because that does capture everything i think about about your writing you know the different stuff that you're hitting on and then just that that wit and and that humor no i appreciate it man and i i guess uh, you know like a gallows humor is a big thing you know and when yeah. you if- if you ever if you ever have a friend or, or a family member who like you know maybe works on an ambulance or something like that like they see they see things in a 40 hour work week that most people in the civilized world don't see in a lifetime and so they they tend to have a bit of a a, a dark a dark sense of humor and um you know whether they had that prior to getting in and that's why they wanted to do it or or they they, they develop a bit of a shield uh, uh which i would say is probably the majority uh, of the cases is that yeah like when uh you know you work in um certain occupations it definitely uh it definitely has a way of bleeding out like i i tried my best my best to avoid like conscious allegory you know like i'm sure i'm sure I'm not the only one on this podcast right now. Like, like when when you, when you want to when you're creating a story, yeah, you will be pulling from classic themes and and um, even maybe even some classic plot lines. However, you know you're you're wanting to put something on paper that it, that mm-hmm. is your, that's yours. You know, like like uh, and um, so you know, I, I, I a friends of mine who you know it followed some of my military writing. They're kind of like, did you really? What really? You're writing about like wizards and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like this sort of jock. You can almost imagine like a jock being like, dude, you joined the chess club. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And, 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 and I was like, yeah, man. This has always been. This has always been my, my uh, big part of me. But it's like, like they're expecting for there to be this like you know military esque type thing. And like, not really, not really. You know, it's uh, yeah. there's a lot, a lot more when when somebody reads and writes as much as you and I do. You know, you have so many literary influences that you know you're in no shortage of inspiration. That's for sure. Yeah, and you you touched a little there on on um, you know kind of fans and and one of the things I have always thought and I think you know science fiction and fantasy. I have so much respect for those writers. I think it might be the most difficult form of writing because you have to create the whole universe and the world and you know, the fans and the readers are so astute and, and enjoy it and learn it that if you make a little mistake or an inconsistency, boy, they'll catch it. Oh yeah. You know? And, and they are, and let me talk about holding somebody accountable. How have you found that whole experience with, the fans and, and as, as you know, not fans, but readers, I guess, as readers are 
are are um, you know taking in the book and and stuff to any of them point out hey what about this you know earlier you said this and and now this person's doing this is that is that really consistent with you know the world they're in it, it reminds me what you're talking about reminds me of the simpsons episode where that uh there's that nerdy professor that talks real nasally mm-hmm. and uh, uh lucy lawless is there uh for like a xena convention or something and, and he stands up uh for the q a and he's like uh, on episode 12, you were riding and he says a, b- a breed of horse. But then he says on episode 14, you were riding and it was a different breed of horse. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and she said a wizard did it. And uh, anyhow, like, like, yeah, there, I think it it is uh, science fiction and fantasy that, yeah, that, that it definitely draws uh, a type of reader that is going to be rather astute to the details. But that, I think that's because that that's that's what kind of that's what weaves the magic of those worlds when done correctly. Yeah. And hopefully mine has, you know, will will uh, uh go down it will fall into that category is that that you know you're 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 talking about something that doesn't exist uh with a language and with a confidence that you can almost trick the mind to thinking maybe it does and and so yeah you have to be very consistent in your facts and um i you know i've yet obviously to hear uh uh, that level of feedback i think it'll take a while you know, for the book to circulate, mm-hmm. but I was that reader for myself. And, and, and it's a pretty scary feeling when you have, you know, you, you're really confident in the manuscript and then you kind of shoot out of bed at four in the morning and you go to page 86 and then you see that 86 and 88 or page 86 and 88 have a glaring contradiction. You're like, Oh my God, where's the other one? Yeah. And, you know, and, and, uh, it's, it was just, uh, uh, which is, you know, which is the case for all manuscript, yeah. revision, manuscript revisions, like pol- polishing a stone or something is that you, know, you just kind of go through it and go through it and go through it. And you have this sort of I really like Stephen King's analogy that when you're writing, um, and I guess, you know, I guess this would be particular to fiction. But when you're writing a work of fiction that you're not, he says, don't look at it like you're creating something. Look at it like you're excavating like a T-Rex fossil, you know, mm. and it's, it's always been there and it slowly reveals itself. And, and I think there's something to that. You know, I have this sort of this, this goal in my mind of, 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 uh, of the world and how to present it, but to, to, you know, excavate the little bones, you know, isn't, isn't always easy. Yeah. And that's kind of how I looked at my, my second book, The Investment Club, which is about five broken people who meet at a blackjack table in Vegas and uh, discover the greatest return is what you get from contributing to one another's. And it's about their lives before and after they meet. And each chapter was um, from a different character's perspective on a different day. And the timeline wasn't linear. It, it moved around over about 25 years, but how I imagined it when I put the story together was like, there was a big mosaic that was covered in sand, right? And each chapter just kind of uncovered a couple tiles. And then as the pages mounted and, and you go and go and go. And then after a while you start to see what the picture is and at the end that's kind of the imagery and and what i wanted to capture in 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 the style like you're saying like a, almost like an excavation i mean that picture was there the whole time yeah um but you couldn't see because it was hidden in each each chapter and i guess you could say that you know our our, our lives are, are similar as well right i mean each day mm-hmm. we un- uncover a little bit more and helps to see you know the the overall picture but tell us a little bit, you know, more about Mulgara and and just set up kind of kind of the story 
um, and, okay. and what it is in that, that high-level kind of overview? Well, you know, it's, it's always the easiest questions that get me. <laughs> or mm. should, should be the simplest questions, rather. Uh, well, um, essentially, there is a, uh, a province where black magic has recently been outlawed. And uh, one of its most notorious practitioners is uh, on his deathbed. And um, his nephew, uh, or actually, excuse me, has passed. And his uh, nephew is at the will reading, ex- uh, anticipating to receive a number of uh, items that are uh, not just valuable uh, being a family heirloom, but also a, uh, an heirloom for people who practice necromancy, which in case anyone out there is not as avid a dork as I am, <laughs> uh, uh, a necromancer is someone who uh, has magical capabilities, who specializes in dealing with death, whether it be talking to the dead, raising the dead, trying trying to cheat death, um, that type of thing. And um, so the will reading does not go as planned, and it creates a little bit of resentment, to say the least, in the cousin, or excuse me, the nephew Arian, and... Um, it ignites feuds that had already existed. And it's a very uh, uh, confusing move uh, for the uh, dead necromancer, considering he is highly regarded as being extraordinarily strategic and intelligent. And um, so Arian is forced to consider, was this uh, just bad planning? Did somebody deliberately sabotage this? Did they mess with the paperwork or whatever? So he uh, starts his own investigation. Mm -hmm. And... um, in this process, the reader gets introduced to other characters. We had talked about Seasmal earlier, and um, he is, uh, when he introduces himself, he is the mortician at the uh, Nilgord Popper Morgue. And um, you start to, uh, I'm not comparing myself to Tolstoy, but like an Anna Karenina, however the hell you pronounce that. My girlfriend gave me the book. It's sitting here right in front of me. I should be able to pronounce it. Is that uh, there's Anna and there's also Levin, I believe. Is it like I, I really like the idea of like um, uh, learning about two characters at once, a bit of a leapfrog. And, and you do see that there is some um, interplay between the yeah. two. And, and um, you start to see how Seasmal and Arian are connected. And, and they're connected by way of the... Uh, of a pretty uh, uh, dark brood of people, whether it be uh, thieves or prostitutes, and um, and as as the reader joins these uh, uh, joins these uh, narrators, they uh, they start to see that, as you had said earlier, that there is definitely a mosaic that's slowly being revealed, and you get to learn why uh, the great dead necromancer um, did what he did. So hopefully, it's oh, a, yeah, a that's... Re- rewarding payoff. So. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was good. Um, so one of the questions I had and, and, um, it was just kind of on the, on the structure of it. I, you know, I know you have kind of the prologue at the end, um, where you kind of wrap, how you kind of wrap up and you have that separate section, um, because the, you know, inciting incident is this, this funeral, but did you ever think about having an epilogue? or you know an epilogue or a prologue of the of the funeral yeah well um 
What, what, let me let me let me let me beg for some clarification here. What what do you mean? Like a scene about? Uh... Well, yeah. So so you have the epilogue right at the end of, uh, and I think I mixed them up for the epilogue at the end of the story, and um, the funeral is. I just wondered if you ever thought about portraying the funeral or or something that happened before um, or why you started the, the story yeah. right the, where you did. Yeah, you know, um, one of the things going back to McNaughton is uh, he was um, he was really good at writing, you know, what 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 we know is the short story cycle, which is that you can or the cycles is that you can have um, short stories that stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it has you know its own beginning, middle, end essentially, uh, um, and there is some sort of resolution or whatnot. But if w- when you read the uh, sh- individual short short stories as a collection, you see obviously that, that you know the, the cycle. There's like a um, like an over logic to it, and and one of the things about the way he um, structured Throne of Bones is that um, sometimes you know it would be you know. Uh, it would it would be nonlinear, or it would be not, it wouldn't be chronological. And um, he gave himself a, a a lot of artistic license to later go into, um, you know, um, preceding events or a character who was only mentioned in a sentence um, in one story as this is the the uh, antagonist in the next, you know. And so um, that's just that's just a bit of just for me, you know. It it, it, mm-hmm. it, it allows it allows for a very strong sense of discovery to what I'm doing. And if, if, there, if there wasn't that, I don't think I'd be as inclined to write about it. When you're writing and is part of your process, do you read out loud uh, how, how these, how these things sound out out loud? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I was actually going to ask you the same thing is because uh, you had mentioned, uh, you know, like the, the, my goal with, with that type of writing, like I write a lot of colloquial stuff too. Like, like, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, I, I've written for a lot of uh, military uh, online magazines and stuff. And, and so I use just, you know, very common day-to-day language. Uh, when, I, when I was putting together Malgara and um, tales around Malgara is that, you know, you're in, uh, in writing intentionally elevated. Is that, you know, it's, it's an otherworldly narrator. So I wanted to go from like some very lyrical prose. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I, de- I definitely read it out loud, but I noticed that, uh, that, I think we all, we all, we all, you know, hear something in our head different than how it comes out later, you know? And so like, I would, I would definitely, I'm, I, I'm probably one of the number one card carrying members about rereading over and over again out loud. until you know, uh, you're like, wait a minute, that, that sentence that sounded so beautiful now sounds like this just massive run on derailed train, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's sometimes, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I, I do read everything out loud. And in my first book, I actually recorded the audio book for it, um, which, you know, is available on Audible. And, you know, the second one, we had a, had a reader do it. The first one was a great experience. And a lot of people really enjoyed hearing the story in in my voice. But after writing it and editing it and doing everything and then to sit down and read it that was that was so much work but there was a couple times as i'm reading it you know for kind of presentation and stuff uh didn't sound as good as it had sounded in my head but i don't know if i would ever change it you know because i did you know like the way that it sounded in my Mm -hmm. head and i'm like you know most people you know audiobooks are a, a portion 
but you know most people are still reading and they're reading uh in their heads so sometimes you get to that point yeah i know this would probably sound a little bit better um you know a different way but you know like a lot of times alliteration right it sounds very good in your head but you know to say it it can it can be be a bit clumsy and you know that's some of this this new book as i said kind of ties to uh paradise lost so i really wanted to kind of capture some of those elements of that iambic pentameter and you know just with the sentence structure and and kind of the cadence and and the rhythm to try to keep you know and it also i think it lends more to kind of the suspense and and the action so really had to read stuff out loud to to make sure that you know that that kind of rhythm and that cadence that cadence was there yeah yeah and i gotta say that's that's pretty uh brave uh, to uh i i'm actually i'm actually trying to um i'm having a little bit inner war now where like uh, there'll be like a line where i loved and now i don't and i'm like well which 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 version do i listen to you know like do i listen to yeah. the, the, the me on tuesday the me on, on tuesday or the me on saturday because it's certainly you know, i mean it's it's pretty badass to actually go like to stay committed to the that original sensation i'm, I'm uh <laughs> my hat goes off, off to you yeah so how, I, how i, I, I usually probably... think of those those kind of decisions is you know i, I consider them any big decision i'm like it's decisions that you know it's just a realization that it's already been made you know, so it just gets to a point and I kind of know which, which way am I leaning? Okay, I've actually already yeah, made my mind. Yeah, Doug, um, learning a bit more uh, about you preparing for this podcast is I had seen one thing we have in common is um, world travel. And uh, what we have here, 25 countries and five continents under your belt is... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, you had mentioned earlier... Uh, journals and i was curious if you ever did the artist's way by julie cameron absolutely yeah that was one of the first you know as i started and i was journaling already and somehow you know that book came across and i i read that and you know i started doing the the religious you know couple pages every day yeah regardless the morning before you even brush your teeth you know it's like yeah yeah Yeah. and i said and i always tell like we talked before that's what i tell people and i say just write and sometimes you're writing i can't think of anything to say but i'm just going to keep writing and then all of a sudden the the, something catches and Mm -hmm. and you build on it but yeah on the travel part you know i in a lot of those places i've been by myself so you know would always was always writing and and you know one of the things i think i love one of the things i love about travel is you know your your body can can move faster than your mind and your spirit so just the act of traveling creates this displacement um kind of in your being so it heightens your awareness so you know you can get off a plane or a boat or however you got there and all of a sudden you're just seeing different uh, different things and your senses are so awake and it's Absolutely. just really opens you up. What it must be like to be a kid is I watch my niece and, you know, when she sees the ocean for the first time, you know, she's just blown away is that you're more aware of your surroundings when you travel and you're going to places that are brand new to you. And with, with uh, the artist's way as she had a, a quote or a term rather about uh, refilling the artist's well. And um, curious, uh, the question, the question as I wrote it, 
is um, with all your world travel, how does this uh, fill your well as far as an author? Yeah, I think it is It is a well of, um, you know, and it's kind of like the unconscious as well that, you know, there's a lot of stuff in my well that I, I totally have forgotten. I always joke with people, that's one of the reasons I keep a journal because my memory isn't so good. But then as I'm writing at times, and mm-hmm. that thing will just thrust out of the well and come forward and I'll remember or I'll see a photo or something will will bring back that. So I think, you know, a writer is always recording, whether it's conscious or unconscious, those things are are filing in filing in and they're and they're nicely tucked away for, for later use. So be careful whenever you are with writers for any listeners out there because the record button is always on. <laughs> Yeah, you'll make your way into our stories eventually, some way. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I think we're getting close to our time here. You know, how can people find out more about you and Mulgara? Uh, well, Doug, first of all, thank you so much. This has been a very enjoyable uh, podcast, one of the better ones I've done. And um, I will say that, like you, they can find uh, Mulgara, like they can find Focus Loss, which is on Rare Birds' website, and um, also uh, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Great. Any final words? Man, that's that sounds very ominous. That actually sounds like something <laughs> my, one of my characters, I think, would say to one another. So, <laughs> Your book had an impact on me. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I actually, I already said what I wanted to say. Thank you so okay. much. It's very enjoyable. And uh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, ditto, man. Congrats on the rollout of uh, Focus Lost. I, I was reading some of the endorsements on it from Jerry Stahl and Stephen J. Schwartz and everything. It's uh you know, this, this is um, this is a uh, an exciting time. That first thirty days, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it hits the shelves. So, congrats again, Doug. Thank you. And everybody can find out more about Focus Lost as you said on Rarebird site or my website buycooper.com, b y c o o p e r dot com, or wherever books are sold. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Thanks again to David Rose for joining me in conversation to talk about his book, Mulgara, The Necromancer's Will. And thank you for joining our conversation on Rare Bird Radio. Look forward to talking to all of you again soon.